That's my chain. Talk shit at this part. About how like the world didn't see it coming. That's my chain. Now you know this fresh, right? You didn't know. I'm so wild. They call me for local, so local. Where they do Hello, hello, and welcome to the Two Square Girls podcast. It's episode 22, everyone, and it's also November. No, it's not November. What's today's day, Dee? Uh, October 12th. October 12th. 10, 12, 21. Um, I like it. I yeah. like that this is the day that we're doing your uh, your memoir review. Tomorrow, I believe, is the one-year anniversary of your memoir coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you like to speak to that a little bit um it's i i didn't even know when it came out i remember the the publisher just said it's gonna come out sometime in the next month and then like i just was randomly looking on amazon and i saw that it was there and i was thinking well that was rude they didn't tell me so i remember it was just a big it was surprising when i saw that it was published and then the <laughs> box of author copies came in the mail and i was like okay this is kind of unceremonious but i'm glad that it's done you know? <laughs> I know, at least in a gift basket or something. Come on, people. I know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's so fun. It's I'm really glad that we're doing this episode because I do remember when I first got the book, which was in 2020, and uh, you know, it reminded me so much of just like <laughs> the you know, the sort of the sort of time and process that it takes to create something and then to put it out into the world and then see it out there and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah it's it's very unreal yeah it's like sometimes yeah. it seems like you didn't even make it after a while you know it's like it just seems like it's its own entity <laughs> but you did you did make it uh both literally and figuratively you made it <laughs> yeah um yeah this has been it's been really fun you know thank you for the honor of uh you know letting me write a review for it I, that was oh. such a cool process because um you know, I, <laughs> I've i been doing my own uh, quote-unquote writing. I say oh. quote-unquote because it's, it's a, I haven't been doing a memoir. I've just been doing like, you know, things for my, uh, my schooling and working and writing in general. Oh, um, cool. In fact, as I speak, I am at <laughs> University of Redacted, uh, <laughs> since this is an anonymous podcast. Um, but I, yeah, I really liked the process of immersing myself in it and there were so many parts that made me just like giggle too because I know that like especially with the title the surviving twin you know it's there's an and there's an anticipation for there to be like you know things that are tragic and things that do have loss and grief and and other difficulties but there were parts that I was genuinely just like I don't know. It was surprising and and in such a like refreshing way. Um, I don't know. Do you want to read some parts? From, I don't know uh, if you have the book handy. Yeah, I do. Let's see. Um, I guess I'll I'll start with actually one of the oldest parts that that my sister wrote, and it, this is actually taken from. She actually made a story out of it when we were in college, but this is the letter form of it. It's um from the third chapter, page thirty one, and I'll give a little bit of context. Um, it's after a failed attempt that my twin and I made to put on a play set in the 20s at a drama club in third grade. Nobody else was interested in the subject. Um, 
they thought it was too depressing <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to hear about third the crash of 29 <laughs> back then third graders were so basic i know <laughs> but okay so she wrote in letter form about the aftermath of that event okay um, I can still remember the itchiness of the festive flapper hats and feather boas we had bought from the antique clothes store in Old Town for our play. The sour expressions we wore when we put on the costumes were more suited to a ghost movie. I don't know why we even thought about putting on the play in the backyard when we were so depressed. I think it was because Mama called our grandparents and Uncle Sean and said we could put it on for them, but nobody came. Our lips only vaguely twitched into smiles when Daddy crossed the patio dressed as... Louis B. Mayer. In his black suit and Jerry Garcia tie, he looked less like the chubby Hollywood mogul and more like a character from a Quentin Tarantino film. When's curtain time? He asked us. We scraped the soles of our white patent leather shoes against the patio. We're not doing the play anymore, I murmured. Why not? Daddy asked. It's stupid, I exclaimed with more disgust than I felt. I liked it, ladies, Daddy told us. You didn't even read it, he cried. Daddy was silent for a moment, then he said, Your play's not stupid. Whatever your teacher told you, whatever other kids might have said, don't listen to them. They're the stupid ones. Looks like it's gonna rain, Mama called through the back window. You girls come inside soon, okay? We're going to Lion's Diner, and you can even stay in your costumes. I think our usual waiters would love them. Okay, Mama, I murmured. I'm gonna feed the cats and warm up the car, and then we can go. We'll have fun tonight. Let's stop at Hollywood Video on the way home, Daddy said. Yeah, we mumbled. Daddy headed inside, already loosening his tie and taking off his jacket so he could change into his go-to jeans and blue plaid flannel coat. We rose, swaying back and forth, staring at our reflections in the sliding glass doors. I didn't see Judy Garland and Billy Burke. I saw two frowning third graders blushing at their own garish costumes. Signed, your failed actress slash twin, Julia. That was kind of a darkly humorous scene. I I would say it's also very I don't know. There's there's so much in it about just you know the 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 human feeling of getting this sort of like you know not not being I don't even want to say not being understood. I'm fairly certain people understood, but it was just yeah. kind of like it was just kind of like eh you yeah, know that's not what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of just it's kind of like it's just kind of hard when you're like out of sync with what everybody else wants to do all the time and it's like after a while it begins to kind of make you feel like you should it, it's a mistake that you're on earth or something you know oh, it's well, like maybe, it's, it's a hard feeling maybe you're in sync with something that they just don't you know they're not they don't get yet you know like yeah <laughs> that's one of the things that i noticed about the memoir there were so many things in it that resonated in a, a more like like a big picture kind of way like a, a universal and in like a unifying way and and I think that if people go into it with this perception like oh I'm not gonna like it or I'm not gonna like yeah I don't you know I totally like it's it's almost like that whole thing where it's like what's everyone else doing and I thought it was always kind of cool that that wasn't something that you know Diana and Julia were concerned about necessarily like it it was definitely something that they came up against but in general like within themselves you know they didn't have this sort of like it, it, they were able to create their own, you know, their own thing. And that's so precious. And, and it's something that I think a lot of people probably just, you know, like overlooked and took for granted for no reason, you know? Yeah. Because um, I noticed that throughout, like that was to me anyway, 
um, in the memoir that they they had this there was something like there there was something about it that gave a sense of um, a sense of like clarity and a sense of like I don't know like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it I don't know what like it's ineffable you know there's this there's a sense of uh, almost not just beauty but something more precious than that you know because beauty can be manufactured <laughs> but the feelings of um you know togetherness and connection yeah. uh you know despite all of these sort of outside what I what I'm con- like conceiving to the outside forces like you know that is something that does work uh not just recognition and appreciation but like value that can't be like broken down in any way you know um yeah even, it was, you know. um it's like the more people tried to break the connection between um my sister and I down the the more we kind of hung closer together and it's yeah. um something I was really shocked at all throughout my our time together was how certain people just they couldn't stand that we that we want it to be the same it's like they didn't they just they hated it it's like I remember my mom came up with the term for it, said oh god another twin hater you know it's like I think some people were so were almost so jealous that they just like wanted to break it um and it's like I don't know but it's I mean I guess I suppose it would seem annoying to see two girls always dressing the same and they probably thought that we thought we were cute or something like that you know but it's like we just wanted to I, but um, I know that yeah. it did breed contempt in a lot of people, and it's like I still don't really understand that. But it was it was a very interesting phenomenon. But um, it kind of made me want to rebel more and do the opposite yeah. because the more somebody disapproves of you, sometimes the more you want to do what they're disapproving of. That's a very juvenile attitude. But you know, we're, well, we were young. So. Yeah, and and I will say to like I, I think people probably and because they didn't understand or didn't want to like understand and take the time to like actually like realize that yeah you're both unique individuals and yet you just prefer to to be you know like that that was the way that I saw it but a lot of people are like oh no for them it'll build character to keep yeah that's kind of this, this kind of this like it's kind of this like very um almost like this kind of like air of superiority where it's like actually I know better than you I know I know know, because I've 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 gone through this I've seen so many different twins and this and that and it's like you can't that's not what that is like you're definitely missing the point and you're definitely not actually like you know like listening and observing because even as you know it it would just it made me so like it, especially the parts about like you know where Julia and Diana were in spaces and around people who kind of just like blatantly almost were trying to bring them down and or yeah. even if they were doing it unintentionally or with quote-unquote good intentions yeah like they it the result was always almost which that it, it was like you know do you do you even know what leads to what here like this is what's going on like that's what's happening um but people didn't almost didn't want to or they just thought they knew better and I'm like they did (laughs) I know and it's like the ironic thing is that the the best friends my sister and I made in elementary school we made um because we were twins it's like people would approach us to ask twin questions and then we would develop a friendship from there so it's like 
the very thing that people thought would alienate other kids was the thing that actually attracted them when we were little. I mean, that changed as we grew older, but um, as when we were young, that's how it was. And um, I know this sounds very bitter of me, but I still am just so fucking mad at the administrators of, of the schools, like keeping us apart for yeah. the first 10 years of our lives, basically. And those are 10 years that I'll, I'll never get back. And it's like, it's really ridiculous to perseverate on stuff like that. But I always think of, yeah, we could have had that class together. We could have done this together. And, blah, blah, and you know, it's like we had yeah. such a brief time together. It's like, hey, it's not fair. Yeah. And because there wasn't any, you know, it's not because like you couldn't be apart. Like you, you obviously you could, but it we could. that wasn't the point. The point was that you preferred to be together and that's okay too. Because yeah. there's always going to be, like, what if there was the flip side of it? What if there was a pair of twins who, you know, and I'm sure there are, like, that that didn't oh, yeah. want to be together, that didn't want to yep. do things all at the same time. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, no, 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 be together, be together. Yeah. It's, it's important. And actually, yeah, that, that it actually be, does X, Y, Z. I mean, yeah, that wouldn't be fair to them either. It's like, yeah, just pushing anything on anybody is, is not right. Yeah, I mean, twins who are forced to dress alike, that sucks. You know, if they don't want to do that, they shouldn't have to. It's right. funny because we didn't it's... start dressing alike until we were probably huh, kindergarten or first grade. We did it on our own. My mom actually, we were so poor as kids that she just got whatever she could, like, you know, at the thrift shop or whatever, and it usually didn't match. Um, but then once we were able to afford a tiny bit more, we chose matching clothes. So it was like my mom yeah. definitely didn't force the, the being the same on us. <laughs> if people it's had funny given because... even five seconds to understand that, in like a human way they wouldn't mm-hmm. have like maybe forced it on like that's the thing they just didn't want to let them be like hey actually why is it that you prefer to be together is it for this reason or or do you actually like like it for whatever you know like it almost doesn't even matter the reason as long as it's not yeah. the whole force it builds character like no it doesn't like if you're forcing <laughs> anybody to do anything and it's definitely not in their best interest and it's actually in like a best interest of whomever is like observing or thinks they know better based on very limited information and incomplete information like no yeah (laughs) i know it's um yeah i mean sometimes like as i don't know like i remember in in high school i began to feel like i was the more clingy one and that like you know my sister would be way healthier if it wasn't for me and then um, mm. I remember this, I read this pla- this poem called, by Sylvia Plath called In Plaster. And um, it was like, it was about this this broken leg that she had. But for some reason, somehow I, I took it on to kind of, to, to symbolize me. Because it sounded like a leech, you know, it was kind of like, um, now let me see if I can pull it up real quick. But um, Let's see. She, okay, she says she refers to the cast on her leg as her, um, and she says, "I wasn't in any position to get rid of her. She'd supported me for so long. I was quite limp. I'd forgotten how to walk or sit, so I was careful not to upset her in any way or brag ahead of time how I'd avenge myself. Living with her was like living with my own coffin. Yet I still depended on her, though I did it regretfully. I just remember that that stanza right there. I was thinking, oh my God, I'm I'm the broken leg." I'm I'm making my sister live in her own coffin. <laughs> and I wrote out the poem to my sister and she said, No, that's actually me. Yeah. I'm the coffin. <laughs> it's like I think that's we both so thought funny. that we had a parasitic relationship with each other and yet like, you know, we just couldn't it's all we knew and we didn't want to let go of it. 
you know what's funny I you know because I you know I only knew both of you intermittently in high school and like in person and uh one of the things that I remembered was that it was it was always people always like kind of had this view of like oh actually this is what it but then when I actually like got to know and talk to both of you, I'm like, y'all are really cool. Like there's, there was something <laughs> about it that felt ahead of its time because, oh, thank you. yeah, because, and, and, and yet still like, you know, cause people are like, oh, this is like, you know, to be real, people would say that they it was, they were the fifties twins. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I wasn't around. <laughs> we were, yeah. You I know, I was the, like, I wasn't um, around Our philosophy then. teacher called us Sandra D and Natalie Wood, which I thought, well, that's cool. Yeah. You can call yeah. us that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the references, right? Like I did not, like, I didn't have family that grew up in America in the fifties. So yeah. I just wouldn't, I didn't, I just, that went right over my head. Exactly. And, yeah. And so like, you know, looking at it just as it was like, as also, you know, someone who was a, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a non-traditional student, I guess. Is, yeah. Well, the the high school that we went to, you know, no names here, but the high school <laughs> that we went to, it it had this sort of, um, it had this sort of like rep for for like being the quote unquote uh, liberal uh, college that wasn't one, you know, like oh, yeah. a, a liberal Catholic school. And I'm like, uh, I guess, like, I don't, I don't know any like religion-based schools that are quote-unquote liberal, or even if anything claims to be that. Um, I will say it was more liberal than my actual upbringing, which is concerning. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very. <laughs> you know, because um, I, I would go there and be like, this is way better than how things are right now at home. But it was also uh. just because, like, it was the same thing, right? Where it's like it was because uh, the school kind of had this overarching push for a certain um denomination my own yeah. parents were uh out of this fear that I would be removed from that denomination like our own sort of uh you know faith system and culture uh. system and stuff more so they would push that more and I would just resent it because I yeah. feel like this is some nonsense I mean as I as I matured right as I grew older yeah there were there are aspects of it that I appreciate but then there are aspects of it that I definitely don't ever want to quote-unquote lean into because yeah. I had so much like, you know, annoying experiences and, and mm. I can see how that was probably for like you're saying the first decade or like the decade that you were in school where you kept being put apart, like, like almost like belligerently, you know, without yeah. somebody actually somebody who actually like understands and or wants to understand um, being consulted, you know, like it's like, hey, get like somebody who actually like you know, <laughs> will get it so that this doesn't keep happening because yeah. people doing that over and over, it's like at some point it feels personal and deliberate, even if they claim it's not. It you feels know? almost like um, a passive aggressive bully at that point or, or like yeah. somebody gaslighting you saying, no, this is this is what you want. This is what you actually want. It's like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who's been, you know, passive aggressively bullied and gaslit, yes. Even just recently, I know. You know, I I understand that that's something that well, and it's also funny because as humans we're adaptable, but that's not the point. The point isn't to adapt to terrible situations. It's to adapt no, you should to never have ones. to do. That. <laughs> yeah, if anything, one should adapt to like good things or or at least things that are deliberate choices to to make that that they're good and and not have to like constantly face and and being 
heal from the nonsense that people had to face instead of just being like, well, actually, you know, this isn't the same situation at all. And you're like, uh, <laughs> you know, you can slap a different label on it, but it's the same thing. You know? I know. Like, yeah. People um, are very easy at deluding themselves and others. It's, it's and, amazing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm including myself in that too, because there's plenty of Me things. Too, that mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's plenty of things, probably good things that I've outright rejected because I've had yeah. some association with them or whatever yeah. uh, in the past that didn't go well, but it's, that's not really the point you know the point is that we're all human yeah any situation you know people are going to have some perception uh that isn't one's own and it's so important to not just understand but not to look out for one's own self-interest all the time even if that's the instinct because I think that these sort of you know people that you were up against as kids because there was this age differential and this power dynamic and (laughs) you know, kids and versus adults or whatever. Like kids know way more than adults. As someone who's they worked do. with both as someone who's worked with both kids and adults <laughs> and like older, you know, generations and younger and like generations that don't even have a name yet. You know, like yes. you know, like little little kids all the way through like, you know, my like grandma, my only living grandparent who's like ninety three. <laughs> like I can tell at like it, it's so very obvious that um, you know, kids have like like they're they're newer and so they see things in a new way that will never be impacted by like you know the the sort of the the the, like I want to I don't want to call it baggage but that people carry because because they have this almost like sense of like hey well like why not you know why not if there's a if there you know and then if they get like hurt from it they know not to do it again obviously that's not the goal it's not the goal to like have kids be hurt but it is the goal to sort of allow them to know and understand each other and not like give them a harder time and I just saw and throughout the memoir people like giving you know Julia and Diana a harder time than necessary like the hard times are never necessary but a harder time than than like usual you know because I mean yeah it's it's like like yeah like twins exist but there's also this idea of you know like siblings too like why couldn't they just see it as like two siblings who prefer to be around one another because you know sibling rivalry is such a like (laughs) thing that people talk about that it's unusual for people to see you know two siblings who are also friends and have um... that I know it's like I always thought why aren't they glad that two siblings are actually getting along you know they're not at each other's throats and it's like the sad thing is the times we were at each other's throats it usually had to do with not being the same it's like yeah which didn't even make sense in a way it's like why were we setting up a rivalry that shouldn't even been there it's like was it because society expected it so much I mean I'm trying to get very psychoanalytic here but yeah like I, I would say that's that's pretty much one of the reasons at least that and 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 it's because like I mean not just because of the whole like society versus the individual it's always the society that's at fault <laughs> because the individual is only one like not just because of that reason but also because um I think self-awareness is rare and uh having a genuine approach to um better oneself without the performative element and without the sort of uh recognition and credit that people crave 
is super rare. And I think that Julia and Diane own, I mean, they, they were authors. They published books together. They, you know, um, had relationships together. They had, you know, other elements of their lives that, you know, they shared intrinsically. And I think you're right. I think it probably made people uncomfortable that some, that two people were able to get along in such a like synchronistic way, maybe made them jealous, maybe made them scared. Like it, people never (laughs) like what they don't understand or what they perceive to be unusual especially especially in like that like uh, that adolescence phase those like teenager years where like all teenagers are so shitty and terrible that uh, honestly (laughs) like I prefer that I mean I work with teenagers like pretty often and I still do because I have nieces and nephews who are like you know I mean mean this in the most affectionate loving (laughs) they're they're great (laughs) they're great and amazing and I love them they're also because as somebody who has been a shitty teenager, like they're shitty. Me teenagers. too. Yeah. So so like besides that particular um, you know, age or whatever, like there's also this idea that people they, you know, they don't see that those are developmental years. They so, are, yeah. So like any sort of negative connotation that occurs in those developmental years is going to carry on through and instead of like ostracizing people or making them feel like they're you know not going to succeed because of whatever shortcomings that other people perceive it's so important to like you know build one people up in like a true non-performative way like it doesn't have to be like giving people like you know how like people like the older generations are always complaining like oh everyone gets an award for everything it's like oh yeah you know that's not that's not the point at all it's more about like yeah it's it's not about you know oh people are getting this or that it's more about the fact that um there's a confidence building that's happening that it cannot be touched by these like outside sort of forces that try to bring people down um because there's too much of that happening already you know and And if it's not happening and, you know, someone's also only ever getting good feedback, that can also be detrimental. Yeah, it can can make you kind of just have a Superman complex or something. Yeah, having this, like, sort of superiority complex or, or, uh, you know, delusions of grandeur. That's always a fun, that's always a fun phrase, I think, because it is um, (laughs) because I'm like, uh, well, I guess people are always talking about delusions of grandeur like it's a bad thing i'm like what about all the other delusions <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like how I come it's delusions- only the grandeur that that gets like <laughs> i have delusions of um let's let's see the opposite of grandeur would be uh rotting i don't know let's see like antonym decay of Gran- delusions of decay <laughs> i'm, gonna, I'm nice. gonna look up an antonym for grandeur <laughs> right now because it's it's funny, you know, yeah, inferiority, uh, unimportance, or, you know, loneliness, or whatever, like, yeah, that's, yeah, I guess insignificance would be, like, sort of, um, you know, things, so, like, that, that seems worse, like, if you have, it is, I mean, that's my primary delusion, and I don't know if it's true or not, I mean, I know that everybody, in, in their own way, is insignificant, yeah, they're all very significant, too, it's like, even a gnat flying around a garbage can is significant, it's, it's, yeah, it's helping I mean, the ecosystem in some way, you know, to be real you wrote a book a memoir and uh that is not insignificant so 
and published it and uh you know i read it and other people read oh, it. Thank you. so yeah. i would say yeah i would say that's not you know like quite uh quite objectively speaking that doesn't <laughs> that that's not an insignificant thing at all because you like you were saying like it you know when you put it like we were talking about in the beginning of uh this episode you know you put something out in there in the world and it's its own entity now you know and so it's like it's cool that you know it's created and and then I bet, like, you're also, I mean, I, I would assume you're feeling, like, some feelings of apprehension or something, like, too, um, just because it is. But I, even this, and it's out there in the world, is significant. And so, you know, that particular delusion, you know, can be, can be sort of waylaid. So I hope, anyway. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I think that a memoir you know in in this in this manner and it encompasses both you and Julia and I I have a feeling like you know as you as you also mature because um now I say when I say mature I say it like uh because that's the mature way of saying it (laughs) um you know I think you can probably you can do whatever you want you know if you wanted to write more oh hey y'all all right so I think we uh, got slightly cut off when I was um, explaining how I call uh, mature, the word mature, I pronounce it mature, uh, like that. because that's how mature people pronounce it, um, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, yeah, and and I was just saying uh, the thought that I sort of ended on um, before this, uh, I'll call it part two of uh, episode 22, because of course, you know, we're, we're all about duality here. At that's, that's really girls. cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, hence the, uh, hence the pod name. Um, yeah, you know, is, is that if you even wanted to, you could yeah, another, I, I mean, it w- maybe, you know, it could still be a memoir, but it'll be like, like I said, like part two of the two parter and it doesn't even have to be like published or whatever. It would just be for you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that would be something cool, but you know, let's, let's get back to, um, some other, some other aspects of the memoir. Are there anything, uh, are there any, um, other sort of, uh, portions or anything that you want to highlight from, um, the surviving twin? Let's see. Um, I guess like after, Julia, my twin sister, dies in the book. It kind of, I kind of describe how I kind of descend into really self-destructive behavior, um, that actually eventually results in a sexual assault. And um, I guess I I would like to kind of comment on how part of that was due to I'm I'm sure that many people who have lost anybody experience survivor's guilt, but um, I had major survivor's guilt, and it was kind of. It's kind of drilled in by the the constant chant I pretty much heard from all these grief groups or mental health awareness groups. Suicide is preventable. Suicide is preventable. And right. it's like, well, I must be an utter failure then because I didn't prevent, I didn't prevent it. And um, it's, it's um, the thing is, suicide is it's not always preventable. Um, it's if somebody's hell bent on doing it, they're gonna do it. You can't be with them twenty four seven. And even if you are, they can still figure out a way to do it. Um, so I think it's like time that people stop saying suicide is preventable. They can just say, I don't know what else they could say instead. But um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 a really difficult 
thing to kind of like it's just a difficult thing to prevent and um it's it can be delayed maybe until and maybe the delay eventually will prevent it that's the best alternative i can think of Um, i you know i you might be onto something because it's it's one of those things where um especially right now since we're in a a quote-unquote troubling troubling time you know i mean historically we're also in a pandemic which yeah you know historically can require um more instances of of people feeling like they don't have any options or choices and or the other way around people kind of have this instinctive need for survival and want to keep going there's you know there's always going to be two sides to it but I think you bring up a good point where the the word preventable has this connotation that it's people's almost personal responsibility to make sure that they don't do it themselves or they don't make somebody else do it but it's so much more nuanced than that you know support and uh and you know having people be um be okay you know is so different and it means different things to different people and I mean just from my own experiences people are always going to have their own self-interests in mind and and one of the things that I've noticed is like sometimes people point to things like faith, like, hey, it's literally illegal. You can't oh, do that, you know, yeah. um, and that's, you know, one way to prevent it, um, you know, and another way is to tell people like, oh, this isn't something that you want to do because look, there's so much beauty in the world. And, you know, people are always going to want to, you know, take the um <laughs> And I hate this phrase, devil's advocate. I'm like, why does the devil need why does the devil need an advocate? There's no there's no need. I think for he's that. capable like, of advocating for himself. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that that's the whole point, you know, like yeah. whatever whatever people perceive. So it's it's something that I've noticed to be um it takes a lot of strength to even approach the subject in an honest and non I'm going to call it PR <laughs> manner, non, non sort of public relations manner where it's like, you're kind of saying the party line, you're kind of repeating the, the sort of that people uh, trained you to repeat. Um, that's, it takes a lot of skill and effort to be genuine and caring about mm-hmm. someone's life. And, and that I think is really the best way to prevent people feel I think preventing people from feeling badly about themselves and the world is a more accurate way to approach it because it doesn't really like you're saying if somebody has um or you know some something else some uh circumstance um or some sort of you know thing where they they think that oh no like I have to like, I can't keep going. I have to end this for yeah. this reason, whatever that reason may be. Because there's, you know, we don't know people's um, situations and no. and they're shaped by their environments and their own biology and their own DNA and, and their upbringing and their genetics, et cetera. Like, or, you know, their socialization, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And so, like, I don't know. I, I often think that of myself. I'm like, hey, if I'm struggling with something it means that I've got to address that for myself first and then, you know, be able to it. And then if I'm able to recognize that in other people, like maybe I don't know the full story, 
but I can at least in that moment make sure that that person doesn't feel bad and yeah. um, that's the only way that I uh, in my advanced age of 31 years <laughs> I've, I've, I've noticed that's the really only approach to it that seems like it will do no harm at the very least yeah um, you know and and like to be real like the even the title the surviving twin I like I I almost want to like sit here and be like don't feel survivor's guilt but how is that gonna help you know (laughs) to 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 literally like be like command it like no that's not gonna do anything you know so (laughs) like just being present and listening and reading the memoir for me has been a way to you know think about what it means to be not just a survivor but a thriver to thrive in in something that happened but also one made the choice to keep going because I mean it is Tuesday 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 you know um (laughs) is what I call it and also I think what they call it this is total tangent in uh in like you know England and the UK I'm fairly certain they call it Tuesday um I don't know if that's for pronunciation reasons, but oh. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to decide that it's for choosing reasons, choice. No, reasons. I, I like that. It's appropriate. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, yeah, I love a Tuesday because I feel like every day should be Tuesday. I have choices every day. Um, but it, it's fun because I'm like <laughs> in an existential way, you know, in this life that we have. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where I mean, every, it, of, it, it's it's very hard to make a choice every day to keep going on in, in mm-hmm. various ways, not just in life, but just in, you know, uh, even just, yeah, just the house, you know, even whatever, just whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. Sometimes I make choices in the middle of it. I'm like, nah, if this, like, I'll, I'll be like doing dishes or something, be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I know. <laughs> I just choose to walk away, you know, things like that. Um, But yeah, I thought about it and, you know, it's, it's strange to think about how, when it comes to suicide specifically, people treat it differently than they do like deaths that result from other diseases like cancer or, you know, um, anything really like strokes or heart attacks or anything that has to do like tragic sudden deaths. People sometimes treat the, the, part like suicide itself not realizing that it's a symptom of something probably something bigger and probably biological or you know and and that feels so counterintuitive because it does so concerned about you know um humans that aren't even born yet for instance uh humans Mm -hmm. that are you know already facing so many instances of not being able to survive like from a worldwide global campaign (laughs) for example (laughs) hypothetically right and and yet they're not concerned about this I mean if even when they are concerned about they're not concerned about it in a practical and realistic manner it's more just like what's gonna look good on a tagline What's going to look I good know. on, you know, a poster and, yeah. you know, like that, um, that rapper logic, that song that he has, where he has the number of the hotline, like as the song, I'm like, Oh y- yeah. Like, it's like, you know, it's, 
it's literally called like 1-800 and it's the it's the number and I'm like all right what if someone doesn't have a phone bro like <laughs> You're hearing or if you get put on hold for like an hour and give up (laughs) yeah you're like you're giving a phone number for a a problem that's not just impacting everybody but they might not even have access to a technology that could allow them to get help like that's so it's I mean it's a it's a nice sentiment I'm not gonna sit here and say it didn't help people because it probably did but (laughs) it's one of those things where the universality of it sometimes gets waylaid by all of the structures that cause these problems in the first place Um, or that, you know, seem to be, if not the root, at least part of the reasons why they're happening. Like you're describing, like with people like, you know, trying to keep you like Diana and Julia apart in the memoir, it, it's like, well, if somebody, in those years stop to think about if it was just a you know why were they doing that kind of social experiment in the first place was it for their own benefit was it because (laughs) they thought they knew better or was it because it was actually the right thing to do like that's something that people don't second guess and and you know I have to do that a lot because I find myself making a lot of assumptions so instead of me assuming certain things, I have to sit down and think about them and think about them again and again. Yeah. My are different for different situations, but I also realize that not everyone's doing that and not everyone even values that. A lot of people just value mm-hmm. the status quo and, yeah. and having a status quo approach to something like, you know, sexual assault and suicide and, and things like that, that's never going to be enough and it's never actually going to help the people who are struggling because those type of status quo things it's like you know it's like standardized testing who's really benefiting from that (laughs) i know i i i I still hope to see that phased out completely in my lifetime i mean they're just replacing it with other nonsense it's that's the bummer it's like you know like it's not as though they're replacing it with anything like you know that I I don't know I maybe maybe I'm wrong and it's all circumstantial but from what I can tell it it really does depend on one person's you know approach and their choice and and how they're going about a situation because I'm always kind of touting like this approach to compassion this approach to like kindness but then I realize other people aren't the feedback that I'm getting or the sort of um the way that people are responding to me isn't kind or compassionate. So maybe I'm doing something wrong in my own approach to trying to be kind and compassionate. Maybe I'm pushing it the way that, you know, those actors and whomever in the, in the memoir, we're trying to keep Julia and Diana apart. Maybe I'm pushing it too hard, but then again, you know, I, I try to listen to my because I know, you know, sometimes it, it really isn't my perception and and that's actually what's going on. So I kind (laughs) of have to like, you know, think about things and, and that's, that's valuable too, you know? And I, I saw that Diana and Julia did that a lot in the memoir is that like self-reflection. So I have to like recognize and appreciate and acknowledge that because it's rare, you know, it's rare to see that. Um, And it's rare to write about it and it's, it's rare to have it published and, 
in a in a collection and you know not just a it's, it's cohesive you know it's a memoir that um keeps going we should talk a little bit about wrapping up the, the ending how 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 did you sort of feel about that um I guess in a way I felt like it was kind of like bittersweet writing about it because like I felt like okay this is my entire life that I wrote about and it's like okay is there anywhere to go after this and it's like it kind of made me feel like the the most rich part of my life was gone but I was glad that I was able to capture it um I mean, I, I know that it takes a while to realize to be able to reflect and, and realize that something is rich. Although sometimes, even when you're in, in, um, living a moment, you can have nostalgia for it, even as you're living it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it was it was just a very bittersweet feeling writing it, and it made me feel kind of, you know, just very questioning: is, is am I ever going to have anything this this saturated and rich with emotion again? Kind of like you know, being able to just everything so vivid and tactile and just warm um but then also I never wanted to live through some of the horrors again in this book it's like it's it's like there's both ends of the spectrum such beauty and such nightmares and um I guess it's not fun to live on such a a pendulating scale like that so I guess I hope to live more of a calm life from now on even if it doesn't make for much excitement I just kind of want to live a life not of quiet desperation but quiet contentment (laughs) I like that and it's also Mm -hmm. you know it makes sense that that's the takeaway because Mm -hmm. so many uh so many classics actually do do um you know very sentiment and it's almost the uh, duality of of those two (laughs) that that makes up the human condition i mean we see it in you know it's like uh in tolstoy classics like anna karenina yeah. um you know we see it in like tessa de Uberville's. like there's so many uh you know books that transcend sort of um the the trendy sort of memoirs that we see on the shelves uh and and they're and i would consider this book a you know, a, a, a real classic because it's still going on and it's happening now, but it's also something that could probably be related to from twins from eons ago and twins eons from now. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I think I know. So like, I, I mean, I, I think that if, if that's something that you were ever worried about, like, you know, don't ever worry about it because it's going to live on long after and and it has already you feel me like it's already it's kept going and I think it will keep going and I'm I don't know I'm really appreciative that this book and this work is out in the world so oh well thank you and thank you for um reviewing it with such eloquence (laughs) I I had a lot of um it really made me renew my you know, my efforts and my faith and, and what I do every day, because I was starting to lose that a little bit oh. <laughs> in the well, middle yeah. there, um, I, I especially that. these yeah. past couple months, um, yeah. people have started up and this allowed me to have some perspective and applications, so to speak, and, and some even like otherworldly application. Like I felt so many cool things um, while I was writing it and you know, while I was thinking about it and, and that 
is crush something oh, that you. I with me so I yeah this was great and I hope listeners that you enjoyed this episode 22 um of the two square girls pod and please check out um do you want to do you want it's called on the surviving twin a memoir of asperger's anorexia and loss by diana lockwood published by top light books <laughs> yeah yeah and and it'll be um you know it's on it's on all the all the platforms if you go on to the interwebs and i am um, uh, three so far and then i sent it to a fourth um so hopefully they publish it too. So yeah, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Goodreads through, you know, roll through those and, and you'll see the review. It's the, it's the latest one um, so far. So please yeah. check it out listeners. And um, yeah, we hope you have a great one until next time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. Right. Bye. 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 Bye.